Uh, we want to welcome any new guests here. Uh, we hope you leave encouraged and loved. Um, if, you're, if you're a first-time guest, there's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. Uh, you can fill that out. There's a connection card that we want you to fill out. We want to get to know you a little bit better. Awesome, awesome, awesome. This is Anthony, one of our interns here who is serving um, in our youth area and helping out throughout the church. He'll be mowing my grass later this week as well. I'm just kidding, but seriously, you are. But we want to welcome you here. If you're watching online, we hope that you leave here loved and encouraged, and we thank you guys. Um, we want to thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. It's because of what you do, Warehouse Church is making an impact. Building lives, strengthening families, and delivering hope is not just a slogan, church. That's what we do, and we're able to do that because of your faithfulness and your giving. Students' lives are going to be changed next week because of the faithfulness in your, of your giving. The church family that I grew up in, because of their faithfulness and their giving and not giving up on me, led me to where I'm at today. And we want to do that for some other students and communities all throughout Richardson and all throughout Plano. We hope that you are blessed today. That, that you leave here knowing that God loves you, that you have a purpose, you have a calling, um, and that you feel welcome here at Warehouse Church. We have three ways that you can give today, and they're on the screen. One is your online giving at warehousechurch.com slash online. The second is our text in given, and you can text that to 972-737-9313, or you can give in person. We have our giving boxes in the back of the auditorium, or if you're watching with us and you're part of our online family, you can mail that in to our physical address at 600 Data Drive, and we are located in Plano, Texas. So church family, before we continue in worship, preparing our hearts for what God has for us today, that, that not only that God's word is spoken, but that we receive it, church, and we apply it. Let's prepare our hearts today. We are going to pray. Anthony, would you pray for us today? Amen, amen. Let's continue worshiping, church.
Church, thank you for joining us today. My name is Pastor Ed Trinkle. I'm really, really sorry that I'm not able to be here today, but I'm going to ask you to do something for me, uh, for a dear friend, my buddy named Pastor Tim Chambers from Fresh Start Church in Egg Harbor Township. Uh, I serve on his board at his church. I've been there doing that for about 15 years. He had some surgery this week and gave me a call and asked me to come down and uh, bless his staff and be a part of his church this weekend. So I'm doing that today. So I would ask you to pray about that today for me, if you would. Pastor Tim Chambers, Fresh Start Church, and I know that'll be an encouragement to him and his family. But we are really, really glad to have what the Lord brought us today for our service. Stephen Shelley Switzer are man of missionaries to the continent of Africa. Dear, dear friends of ours, for over 20 years, we're so uh, excited about the ministry that they lead with MANA and the things that they're doing now and are going to be doing this year that he's going to be talking to you about today. You're going to love his introductory song, but when he comes up to the stage, make sure you make him feel welcome this morning, Pastor Steve Switzer. In Africa, that was really good. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> well, welcome, Warehouse Church. It's a pleasure to be here, and we are so glad to be in this place with you. And man, can I just say that worship was just oh my goodness, that was, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you guys man. so much. Yeah, so good. And uh, thank you for leading us. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm going to speak, I try not to sing too much because of the voice. I couldn't help it today. It was just really good. So yeah. thank you guys for doing that. Uh, we are Stephen Shelley Switzer, and uh, we are. Uh, from right now, we live in Fort Worth, Texas. We've been here a few months. We're kind of the, one of the newest missionaries with Mana Worldwide, and we're working in the continent of Africa. But it's a privilege to be here and to be in, in, in this place for a good friend of ours, Pastor Ed and his wife Kim have been friends of ours for um, a, a couple of years now. And uh, it's great to look back and see uh, what God has done in their life. We've seen them on the East Coast, and we now see them here in Texas together. So it's a privilege to be a part of it. And if you don't know this, you have one of the greatest pastors and pastor's wives. I would like to talk to you in the back when this is over, because we love Kim and Ed, and we do count it a privilege to be here, even though Ed's not here. Yeah, so. exactly. So <laughs> it's good to, uh, to share with you what God is doing in our lives. And, and Ed mentioned, I know you all are very familiar with Manna, at least many of you I'm sure in this room are. But we want to give you a chance just to kind of maybe refresh your memory on what MANA does. We have a new video that just kind of explains MANA. So if you'll watch the screen for a minute, it'll give you an idea of what we're doing as we start into this today. Thinking back to when you were a kid, what are the memories that come to mind first? 
Is it waking up to the sound of breakfast being made in the kitchen? The smell of fresh bacon on the stove? The sweet taste of your favorite cereal? Or maybe it's simply that feeling of being hugged by someone you love before leaving for school. While you can connect with some of these things, for the children we serve, all of these memories are nothing but a fantasy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Here at MANA Worldwide, we want to give you the opportunity to share the gospel in a way that transforms people spiritually and physically for a lifetime. MANA started with the simple idea that by serving people in the way that Christ did, we can build trust and relationships to share the truth of His Word much more effectively. Needs are different for every child, which is why projects look different in communities all over the world. We work with churches and individuals like you to battle the global giants of hunger, disease, homelessness, and spiritual emptiness. We do this by starting churches, nutrition centers, medical clinics, family homes, orphanages, clean water wells, youth camps, and schools. The beautiful thing about partnering with us is that we bring your church together with local churches and missionaries overseas. Every MANA project is connected to a local church or missionary so that we can come alongside to help reach their communities. We want to help the church fulfill its mission to bring the gospel into all nations. And we do that by rescuing children from the grip of poverty. We're MANA Worldwide, and we would love to help you make your eternal impact in the world today. It is a privilege to be a part of an organization like MANA. And you, you saw just, uh, for those who are just refreshing of what MANA does uh, around the world, and we, we have the privilege of being a part of what they're doing in Africa. In Africa, we, we work with nine different countries in the continent of Africa. There are over 30 works, whether the orphanages, uh, schools, nutrition centers, medical clinics, all across the continent of Africa. So we get to see what they're doing there. We get to help them, but we also get to come back and be with churches like yours to be able to share that. So that's the exciting part of what MANA does. So who are Steve and Shelley? Well, let me give you a brief history. So we met at Baptist Bible College uh, years ago. He's from Kansas. I'm from Illinois. We met in Missouri. Um, we got married and went into full-time ministry. We've been youth, music. and the last 22 years, we have been full-time pastor. 11 years, we were in Long Island, New York. And 11 years, we were in a small town in Taylorville, Illinois, August of 2021, we moved to Fort Worth. We have three adult children. I don't know if that picture's gonna come up. There they are. And on the left is our oldest daughter, Stefan, her husband, Carlos, and our two granddaughters, Kaylin and Riley. They live in Fort Worth, Texas. They work at Hallmark Baptist Church. In the center is our son and his wife, Erica. They live in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. They have started their own nonprofit organization, and they work with orphan kids. And on the far right is our youngest daughter, Michaela, her husband, Garrett. They live in Kansas City, and they gave us our first grandson in November. So, yeah, that's our family. Amanda, just to give you an idea that what we do as missionaries, what it helps. This next picture on the screen just kind of gives you a thumbnail of what MANA does. It's a picture of uh, Tanzania, Africa. Uh, with MANA, there's always a church connected. And so there's a local church called the Nima House there in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. 
most of our centers have a nutrition center, so that's a nutrition center there in Dar Salaam. Those are the workers and so forth. And so we get to share with Nat, help them work in th those particular areas, and then come back and share that with you, raise money for the projects, just give you a chance to be a part, take you on a trip. We're actually going to this feeding center in November. If anyone is interested in, in coming on that trip, we'd love to take you with us because this particular feeding center is celebrating 20 years of ministry. Manna is 20 years old, and they were one of the first centers that we were able to begin. So they're celebrating 20 years anniversary, and with that comes this last picture, which is exciting. Okay, this, this little guy you see in the hat. Now, I'm sorry, go back that one more. I, I said that too quickly. The little guy in the hat, I love you, Jesus. His name is Freddie. All right, that's Freddie when he entered the feeding center when he was just a boy. Now, fast forward, and that's Freddie on the right, who's now a pastor in one of the churches in Tanzania. That's what's exciting about what missions is and what Manny gets to do, and we get to be a part of that. And so we're so excited about the Lord allowing us to do that. So you see Manna, and you may have questions, but I know, I know what the real question is. Wait, you're said the newest missionaries? You don't look that new. Hmm. We're not. I was just in a kid's service, and I had a little girl go, is your husband old? And I went, no, he just has old hair. Um, and she believed me. <laughs> we are not the youngest missionaries. But looking back, we know God's been preparing us for this all along. We were not expecting it. I also get the question, like, were you so excited to join MANA? No. No, I was not. Let's just be honest. When Steve came to me probably six years ago and said, I think God's stirring in our heart. I was like, what? No, we're supposed to be thinking of retirement. Like, I was ready to pick up and be on the pickleball tour. I thought that's what you did when you retired. Um, and God said, no, that's not what you're going to do. And so he was on board before I was. I was struggling. It was my hometown. This is where I had grown up. My family was there. I thought this was where we were going to stay pastoring. And God just kept working on my heart. And one day I was reading the Bible I know, shocker. Um, I was reading the Bible, and I came across a verse in John 10, 27. And it says, my sheep hear my voice. Is that what it says? Yeah. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I'm reading that, and I was like, okay, I know I'm God's sheep. At 13, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know I belong to God. He knows me. They follow me. That was the part I was struggling with. So I continued reading. It was a devotional book. I don't know which one, but the lady was talking about being on a trip with her very best friend in her best friend's town. And they had the GPS going, and they were headed to a certain place, and all of a sudden her friend goes, no, no, turn here. And she said, without hesitation, I just whipped the car around. And she said, we got to where we needed to be. GPS was going crazy, but there had been an accident, and there was road construction still going on there, and her friend knew that. And she said, later that night, I'm contemplating, why did I just automatically, without question, whip that car off the road when she said, turn here? And she goes, well, she's been my best friend forever. I trust her. She's like, it was her town. She knew what was up ahead. And she's like, so I just did what she said. And at that moment, God said, you have called me your best friend since you were 13 years old. So when I say, take a detour, I know the plans. I know you. You're my sheep. I know you. Why would you not trust me? 
And at that moment, I was like, all right, I'm all in, whatever this takes. And here we are. And I have no regrets about that. But today, as Steve opens the word, I want you to think about a couple things. First of all, do you know that you are God's sheep? Because we can take care of that today. But if you are, do you trust that he knows you? He knows how old you are. He knows your limitations. He knows what you can and cannot do. He knows you. So if he says, let's take a detour, are you going to argue or are you going to trust him? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their mission to reach this area for you, God. This world needs you, not just here, but all over. Thank you that we get to partner with churches like this to reach people for you, God. We love you. We ask that you just open our hearts, help us to listen, remove all distractions so that we hear your voice and help us to be quick to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had one of those moments where you kind of say, how did I get here? Now, I'm not saying like when before Jesus when you woke up one morning and got, <laughs> how did I get here? That's not really the question. I'm saying more like, uh, you know, someone gave you directions and you're following them and you took a wrong turn somewhere and you're in the middle of a, a parking lot that you have no idea and you go, how did I get here? Or maybe... Maybe somebody gave you directions, and you're, not, you're kind of directionally challenged like someone in my family is, and you're, you really don't know directions real well, east, west, south, north, that's up. They don't, that doesn't make any sense. But you end up at the right place, and you go, how did I get here? I mean, this is a miracle of God. You know, you one of those kind of, or maybe, maybe it was one of those great victories in your life, you know, just a successful thing, and you're looking around going, how did I get here? Or, or maybe it was after some bad choices, some unhappy circumstances, and you go, how did I get here, right? You ever ask that question, right? And you're thinking back in some of those times, whether it's up or down or across the board, it's how did I get to this particular place? Warehouse shirts, I hope you don't mind this morning. I, I'm going to get really personal with you. I hope that's okay with you. I want to just kind of share, because what Shelly shared about our story, there was a few, a few months ago when that has been my question. God, how did we get here? This wasn't what I expected. This wasn't, I didn't have that on my 10-year, what I'm going to do list, right? These are things that, that God kind of brought, and there's been times when I've thought to myself, how did we get here? And along this journey, I've had some of those conversations with God. And so through this, and literally in the last few months, there's been a passage of Scripture that God has kind of been using to, it's, it's an analogy in my heart for what God has been doing in our life. And I want to share it with you because I think there may be some others in this room that if you're not right now, soon you're going to be saying, how did I get here? And, and God, is this really what, what I need to be doing, right? So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, however you want to follow me today, or you're going to just watch on the screen, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, there's an incredible uh, passage of Scripture that God gives this wonderful account from the event of Jesus. And it's one of those that's really important, we know, because um, in, of the four Gospels, three of the Gospels share this almost verbatim, what is going to happen in this particular story. And, 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 and so we know that Jesus wants us to know what's happening there. But Matthew gives us one unique detail about this story that the other two Gospels do not. 
And that's the part that I want us to, to get into today. So we'll start here. Verse number 25. The Bible says that in the fourth watch of the night, he, that's Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. All right, let's stop there. That's not something you see every day, right? Okay, this is the, the famous Jesus walking on water. I know we've seen it in the movies, all right? We've seen guys do this. But this was a true miracle. Don't let anybody try to fool you into thinking, oh, he was on a sandbar, kind of on the, just waving at him. The Bible tells us in one of the other accounts, he was four miles out to the sea, okay? He's out in the middle of this, this huge lake, sea area, walking on the water. So this is a, a true miracle, but also we don't want to miss something. The previous verses tell us it wasn't just walking that was big. They were actually in the middle of a storm. It says that their boat had been beaten by the waves. The waves, in fact, depending on your version, says it was contrary to them. The waves were against them. They were fighting this storm, and Jesus just comes walking on the water, kind of strolling like he's just going to walk right past them, right? So with that in mind, look what, how they respond, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. They went to worst-case scenario, right? They're in the middle of the storm. They see something, and they identify, we're going to die. We're seeing ghosts now. We're seeing these, these spiritual creatures, right, across the water. And that's when Jesus responds, verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And in those phrases, in those sentences, I think Jesus identifies what is really the key to this whole passage. And that is that if I'm here, guys, and it's me, fellas, it's, I, it's Jesus, it's the guy who you know. And if I'm here, then fear is unnecessary. Now, fear's natural. It's going to come. But if Jesus is there, fear is unnecessary. And here's what we know. The Bible says he will never leave us or forsake us. He's always with us. So the truth is, fear in life, it's natural. We'll have it. We'll go through it. But if we remember Jesus is with us. It is I. Be not afraid. It's, that's the, the point of this whole story. Now, that's the part of the story that all three of the Gospels share. The walking on water part, they're in the storm, Jesus comes, pretty much verbatim. But the next part is the part that only Matthew tells us about, starting in verse 28. And Peter answers Jesus in this conversation, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, and Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, if you read this story before, this, this is where it really starts to get good, right? I mean, Jesus walking in the water, all right, we'll give him that. He's God. That probably could happen, right? Peter walking on the water, that's a whole new, that's a whole new ball game now. Now we got a guy like Peter taking a stroll across the water. That's big stuff. But my question, the first thing I get is, why, what, what was it that made him ask that question? Who in their right mind asks to get out of the boat and walk on water? What was it that was motivating this particular, because if you read in it, Jesus wasn't suggesting that. He didn't say, hey, anybody else want to walk with me? Anybody else interested in this? No, it wasn't a suggestion. This was Peter. If it's you, ask me to come. So why? I don't, we don't know the reasons. So I try to think through this a little bit in my head. Maybe Peter was, we know Peter was a little bit impulsive, right? So maybe this was just his kind of childish, you know, wow, it's an adventure. Hey, let's do this, right? Or maybe, maybe, okay, this is possible. Maybe Peter was saying, hey, I'm going to impress these guys, right? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that no one else is. I'm going to be the first one to do this with Jesus. Maybe that's it. Maybe Peter was just the risk taker in the group. Some of you are in the, that would be what you'd want to do. You're the, you're the bungee jumping, you know, jumping off cliff type people, right? That, maybe that's what Peter, he was just the, the, the risk taker, the, the I don't care kind of an idea, whatever it was. Because the, the, but here's what I see in this story. I see that Peter had some kind of a desire to do something different. He was the only one that made this request. He was the only one that, that was a part. Maybe it is part of his personality, but I just want to suggest something. And this is just from the Steve Switzer version. This is not biblical. I just want to throw out a suggestion that perhaps that desire came from God himself, that God wanted him to experience something, and he put a desire in him to want to do that. Can I tell you, folks, that God would do that in your life? That God will show you some things that, that he wants you to do, and maybe you've not thought of that yourself. Maybe you would never think about doing that. Is it possible God might stir some kind of a crazy, out-of-the-boat experience for you, and you get this desire that I want to do more, I want to do something for God? I, I really see that that's, that happens in this story, but here's what I want to make sure you get. Don't miss this. Be careful what you ask for. Do you think Peter really expected Jesus to say, sure, come on out? Hey, Jesus, if it's you, come on the water. Jesus says, all right, come on down, brother. Oh, think about that for a minute now. Now we've moved. Here's the thing. Where Jesus was, that was the right place to be. That's the safest place. You're, you're with Jesus. I, I get all of that. But when Jesus now commands him to come out of the boat, Jesus is confirming that that was desire. That's all right, that that's good. But now, think about this. Now we've moved from Peter's thoughts and desires to a matter of obedience. Because Jesus says, come on down, Peter. So now it's a matter of, oh, wait a second. I wasn't really expecting that answer, <laughs> so I'm not sure I want to do this. Now it's a matter of Peter. I, I told you, come on. I, I gave you this, this bidding. I gave you this invitation. Come on and, and join me. Now, it is, it is true, as you see the story, Peter wasn't hopping out of the boat before Jesus gave him the command. He wasn't crawling over the side and then just, he was waiting on that call. But now that he's got the call to do something for Jesus the way he's told him, now he's got a choice to make. Am I going to do what he told me to do? Am I going to follow this? Here's what I'm going to get you to, to think about. And this will be kind of our thought for the day as we go through it. I found it to be true in my life, and I think I can verify it over and over in Scripture, that following Christ is the greatest and scariest decision that you will ever make. It's the greatest decision because... When you're following Jesus, you know you're always going the right way. Think about that. If you're with Jesus, you know you're in the right place. So that's the greatest thing. If I, if I just do what he's told, I know that that's, even if it doesn't make sense to me, I, I know that it is the right way to go because I, I'm, with, I'm with Jesus. Although I might not see it, I'm with him. And also what I know that following Jesus is, means I'm actually going to be closer to him. Because at that moment, Jesus was outside the boat. Peter's inside the boat. Jesus says, come to me. So now Peter's actually going to be. When you follow Jesus, that enhances that relationship. Does that make sense to you? That we're following Jesus is the greatest thing in all of your life. But the second word, in fact, when, when Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, help, ask me to come to you. 
you, you know, see what I'm saying? When we follow Jesus, it's not about just getting directions. It's not about following a map. For you that are under 30, a map is what we now call GPS, okay, just to make sure we all are on the same page, all right? But it's, it's not just, I, there are some days that I want to just, I want to, in a holy way, kick Siri. I do not like Alexa or whatever is telling me to go. I just know that that can't. So I, I, I argue with the, you know, because if you're just giving me directions at one, this isn't directions. You're not following directions. You're following a person, and his name is Jesus. You're, the thing, the greatest thing in life is to follow Jesus because now you're, you're in a relationship. You're following the guy that knows everything and loves you more than anything. It's the greatest thing in life, but it also can be the scariest thing in life. It can be the most terrifying step that you ever take. At the very least, it might seem illogical, and I promise you it will seem uncomfortable. It will move you out of a position of comfort to follow Jesus. It is the greatest thing, but it can be the scariest, most terrifying thing. Peter was a career fisherman. All right, so Peter was, he was good with, he'd been in boats. He was okay with water. He'd been it all his life. I, I really have to guess that Peter had probably been in the water on numerous occasions for different reasons. Maybe the boat capsized. Maybe he's working on the nets. He's been in the water. So it's not that this is all new completely, what it is, is there is a, it, it's, he's never walked on the water before. I told you I wanted to be real. This is something that, as the Lord, we, we took this step and said, God, we want to follow you. And, and, and I, we, we, we had our thought, we had kind of life planned out, and, and God seemed to change that. And we, we start to step out, and, and one of the things that, that I said was, but God, you know, this, this doesn't seem to fit, fit my plans. I know ministry. Ministry is something I've been doing for 35 years. That's been my career. And we're still in, in ministry, but, but I've never done it quite this way before. I've never quite done it the way that you're asking me to do it now. And there are days when I still don't understand what I'm doing. It is, it's still in the same realm. I've seen the boats before, but I've never walked on the water the way he's asking. And, and that's what we have about Peter. That, that what you've got to understand is when you're going to follow Jesus, that next step, whatever that is, it's going to be a step of faith. It's going to be a step of something that you really can't wrap your mind completely around. It's something that you're going to have to understand. It's that idea of getting out of the boat. Now, there, some of you may have ever read the book. It was written several years ago. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. Anybody ever read that book? Okay. It's a famous book years ago. It's a great book. And in it, it talks about these very things. This was a huge step for Peter. I mean, we're talking, he took a step in something that no one's ever done. Jesus was the only, I mean, we've seen magicians do it today, maybe on TV, but this was, this was real stuff, right? So Peter's going to take this step. But there was 11 guys inside the boat that didn't experience that. Now, here's what, for years, and, and I've heard it, and I may have even taught it before, that those 11 guys missed out because they didn't have the, the, the faith to step out of the boat. Let me share something with you. I, 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 maybe that's true. But I also think it's possible that maybe the 11 guys were not supposed to step out of the boat that way. Is it possible that this was supposed to be a Peter and Jesus moment, that Jesus knew Peter needed this for his leadership, and he's asking him to come out? Because Pete, Jesus never rebukes the other guys for not getting out of the boat. He never says, oh, you scared. He never does that. This is a moment between he and Peter. My point is this, that every one of us in, in this, this walk of, of the journey of Christ is God's going to ask us to take some step of faith, but it's going to look different than the person next to you. And that's okay. 
It's all right that your journey of faith doesn't, but the point is, all of those guys in that boat, all but one, Judas, all of the other 11 guys are going to have their out-of-the-boat moments. In fact, what we, history tells us is 10 of the 11 guys in that boat are going to die a martyr's death for their faith in Jesus Christ. So they're going to have a moment when they're going to have to step out of the boat in faith. But this moment was for Peter, and here's what I want to say, that God has you in a journey, and he has something he wants you to do. And it's not about comparing your journey to someone else's. It's about saying, what does God have for me? So there's three principles I want to grab for you today, and the first one goes like this. It says simply, not everyone is called to walk on water, but every disciple is called to walk by faith. You may not be asked to do it the way that I do it. You may not be able to do the same things that someone else does in your church. But I promise you, a disciple, God's going to call you to walk by faith, to take some steps that you can't control, that you can't do on your own. Here's what we know. The Bible repeats it verbatim four times. The just shall live by faith. Four times, Old and New Testament. Hebrews 11.6 says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Your, your Christian journey is going to have some points when you're going to say, I don't, I've not done it that way. I don't understand it. That's uncomfortable. That's scary. I don't get that. And that's the part of God said, are you willing to trust me to step out and do what I've called you to do by faith? What does that look like for you? I don't know. Let me just throw out some suggestions. Uh, what's your unique step of faith? There may be some watching online or in this room today that maybe the step right now today is just re recognizing that God loves you and that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And your step is to simply finally acknowledge and say, I need a Savior. And you come to him and you receive the gift that he bought it by his, his, uh, his gift of the cross. Maybe that's your step. But if you've already taken that step, what, what would it look like for you? I was looking out in your, in your lobby about the different next steps that are possible. Some of you might be a baptism. Maybe it's a, a class that would help you become a part of this church. Maybe it's a life group. Maybe it's a sharing your faith. That's a step of faith to actually take a coworker or a family member and share your faith and share who what God has done. That's a step of faith. It's scary for some of us. Maybe it's an act of service. It's using your gifts. I really don't have anything to offer. And yes, you do. But it's a step of faith to actually put yourself out there and get uncomfortable and let God use you. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's a giving to the church, to the ministry here, giving to the church around the world that is taking the gospel. And God is saying, you can do this. And I don't think I can. And he's saying, do you trust me? Take a step of, of faith. Maybe it's a relationship. Somebody that's really hard to, to love or maybe somebody you're having trouble forgiving. And God's saying, I forgave you. You can forgive them. You say, God, I don't know. That's a step of faith. What is it in your journey? I don't know, but there's something in your journey. God is saying, I, I want to I do something with you and make sure you understand. It's not just uncomfortable. Do you realize what Peter was asked to do, this step of faith, was impossible? You see, if you could follow the story, those guys, when they got into the boat, Jesus commanded them to get in the boat, and he sent them out, and they went into a storm. That in itself was a step of faith, but that was a little more manageable, right? They've been in boats before. They've been in storms before. When Peter is hears from Jesus, get out and walk on the water with me, Peter's going, wait a second, that doesn't work, Jesus. There's this thing called gravity and water, and this just isn't going to work. He's asking to do the impossible. Here's what I ask myself as I go through some of this, this journey. How have I limited God? How have I filtered God's 
power to the point where I can do certain things, but when it gets to a point when it's out of my control and I can't do anything about it, I'm not sure I want to go there. It's about that time I realize I'm not really in control anyway. Have you, ever, have you had that realization yet? And you come to that point, but at some point I feel like if I can manage it, then I can do it. But at some point God says, let go. Trust me. Do the terrifying, the uncomfortable thing. At Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said this. Listen, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Christian, how long have you, has it been since you claimed that verse that God wants to do more in my, me than I could ask or think? Something impossible. God is looking for people who will be willing to let him do the impossible through him. Is that you? Are you willing to step out in faith? Phenomenal story, and that's what God has called us. But here's where it gets, if the story stops right there, Phenomenal. That's great. Peter walks on water. Jesus, this is good stuff. You can imagine Peter telling his grandkids about this one, right? I remember the day I was walking on the water with Jesus, right? Okay. Makes a great story as you get older if it stops there. And as I read this story, I think I, I'm so glad. But here's the thing about taking that step of faith. It might end in the thrill of victory. Woo. But a lot of times there's more to the story than that. And as you go into the story, the next thing, I am personally so glad that this next part is in here because I relate to it, and I think some of you will as well. Look at verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Oh, no. Wait, I took a step of faith. Everything's going to be good now, right? Took a step. I did what Jesus told me to. No trouble now. It's all smooth sailing. Took a step of faith, saw the wind, and now he's beginning to sink. I, I read one commentator who said, this is the failed attempt of Peter to do and blah, blah, blah. Wait a second, dude. Let's hold, make sure we don't forget. Peter did walk on water, okay? All right? There, there was a moment. I don't know how long it was. It may have been one step, may have been ten. But there was a point. He was walking on top of the water. That's cool stuff, right? So there was something great here. Please don't let the fact that maybe I'm falling and I'm going to sink think it's all over. I'm a failure. I can't do this. But it is true that you step out in faith. And sometimes as you go through it, you're going to find yourself in this position when all of the rest of it seems to be sinking around you. In fact, when, when he, the Bible says, when he saw the wind... He was afraid and began to sink. Think about that phrase, saw the wind. Saw, saw the, the wind. Here's what I know from the story. The wind hadn't changed. Verse 24 said they were already in a storm. The wind was already against them. The wind hadn't changed during all this, but Peter's perspective had. At one point, he was focused on the storm. Now he sees Jesus. Jesus is walking. Jesus is getting out of the boat. He's having a great old time walking on the water. And he forgot that there was a storm. What that phrase says to us is all of a sudden reality sinks in. Hold on a second. I'm walking on water. People don't walk on water. I've never walked on water. I can't walk on water. This is out of my, when he saw the wind, he starts to realize that this, this is real stuff. And, he, and he, when he saw the wind, here's what's interesting. When you hear that phrase, and the first time I saw it, it grabbed my attention. You don't see wind. You, you don't. You see the results of wind. 
He didn't see wind. What he saw was the storm, and he saw the waves, and he saw his friends in the boat scream. He saw the circumstances around him, and what he saw was a result of what that wind could do. But what does that tell us? That when he saw the wind, suddenly his focus has changed. Before, he was focused on Jesus, and I'm walking on to Jesus. Now, what is he, where is he looking? He's not looking at Jesus. He's looking at the wind. All He's looking at the results. He's looking at the storm. He's looking at the, the wave. And, and Peter's now, his doubt is replacing his faith. He's got more fear than faith now. Have you been there? Have you been there maybe lately? All the stuff that's going on in your life, things around you, and, and you know you're where God wants you, or you've wanted to take a step of faith, and suddenly now what you're seeing is the results and the wind, and this is impossible. I can't do this. I, I can't walk on water. But remember, you can't walk on but God can do the impossible through your life. This isn't about us. This isn't about you. It's not about what you can do. Now, I don't know this. Again, this is my thinking about this. But I can just see here Peter's mind as he's, he's seeing the wind now. And he's thinking, whew, this is a bitter, bigger risk than I thought it was going to be. Well, I didn't, didn't get all the details. I didn't read the fine print of what this walking on water thing really is. This is, this is bigger than I thought. And, 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 or maybe he's saying, I, I, I'm walking on water. I can't walk on water. Guys like me, we don't walk on water. We don't do this stuff. This isn't stuff that's made for us to do. And <laughs> I'm sure that there's a possibility. He said, maybe I didn't understand Jesus. I mean, the storm was really loud. Maybe Jesus was saying, just wait there, Peter, and I'll come get you. I, maybe he never said anything about getting out of the boat. Did I mishear Jesus? Did I make a mistake? Here's where it comes back to that question I asked you at the very beginning. Here's where I think Peter goes, how in the world did I get Here's what I want to encourage you, Christians, disciples. At some point when you follow in this step of faith, maybe not every time, but sometimes along that journey, you're going to stop and you're going to think, how did I get here? This is harder than I thought. This isn't what I expected. I don't think I can do this. I, 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 don't, I don't think I want to continue doing this. I think this is, and, and that's, that's the point that I, I, I found myself in some ways. Verse 30 again, he saw the wind. He was afraid. He began to sink just the honesty of it is that's exactly how I feel some mornings following Christ as I get up. And the, and the night before was great, but that morning and we're facing the things that I can't do. And I, and I feel like now I, and I start to sink. And I, I, this can't happen. This isn't, this isn't supposed to be this way. It's not. And, and I'm just trying to encourage you as followers of Christ that that's a real feel. It is something that we will experience. And, and, if, and again, if the story stops here, then we're all just going to have to go home a little sad. But it, it doesn't. He continues in all of this thing that we're going. Let me just ask you this. The wind that we're talking about, it's going to have different names. What is your wind named? Maybe the wind in your life you're following, and it's, it's the wind of, of some kind of a sickness, something you weren't expecting. Maybe it's the wind of... COVID? Could it be? Could it be the wind of the economy? I mean, who, who would have thought we'd be paying $5 for a gallon of gas, right? Who, maybe it's the wind of, of things that you had planned. Here's what I, by the wind, it's the circumstances around us that we get out, we're doing what God has called us to do, and that things start to collapse. Maybe we say, yes, God, I will give. I'll take that step, and I'll do that. And then suddenly something changes. Our job changes. The economy changes. We go, wait a second, God, I don't think I can do that anymore. 
Or, God, I want to take this step. And, and then as we do, then, then something comes in my life. And it's, the world around me seems to be, God, you, we think God didn't see that coming. Do we think God didn't know that it was going to be the way that it is? And he says he saw the wind and he was going down. But look what it says. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Peter's realizing now, as he cries out, that he needs help. And I want to encourage you Christians, wherever you're at in this, that's what God's waiting, waiting to hear. Sometimes it takes us getting to that point when we feel like we're going under that we realize that we need his help. And he cried out for help. And then I love Jesus did something amazing. And it was interesting. Jesus could have said, hey, dude, you're a fisherman. Swim. Get back to the boat. You'll be okay. I mean, he could have, right? What does Jesus do? Look at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why, why did you doubt? Immediately, Jesus responds. Jesus personally puts out his hand, brings him to the boat, and he uses those two little phrases, oh, you of little faith. I personally don't think this is a rebuke because I see it in several different ways. It, what it is, it's telling him, Peter, this is a part of your growing process. You, you have a little faith, but you have a little faith, and it's growing. And this is a part of your testing. This is a part of you getting stronger. And, and it, that's a part of we're going through these things, and we'll sink, and we'll cry out, and God will save us. And it's a part of that our faith is still small. But that last one, why did you doubt? Two, two times that word is used in the New Testament. Matthew uses it both times, the word doubt. And it's not necessarily a, a doubt of, like, I don't believe this is that he is real. And the other time that it's used, Matthew 28, it was right after the resurrection. There's a group of disciples gathered on a mountainside. Jesus told them to be there. And it says, many believed, but some doubted. It's the same word for doubt. And it's not about they doubted that he's alive. I mean, they could see him. They could touch him. They weren't doubting that he was resurrected. But that word doubt means they were hesitating. They were faltering. They were trying to ride the fence. Because if he's really alive, then what does that mean for me? And they're hesitating to take that next step, and that's where Peter is. Peter, why are you doubting? Why, just take the step. We, we've done this. You can, do, Peter, with me in you, this is something. Why are you hesitating? And it's a matter of, of faltering, and we do that. We hesitate in life, which leads me to, to one of the next principles, and that is that God is bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your mistakes. He's bigger than your hesitations. God knows you. God knows that you're saying, God, I can't do this. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know how. I can't. I won't. This is bad. This is and He knows those things. And he's saying, trust me. Your little faith is growing, but trust me. And then the Bible says, verse 32, this is how the story ends. When they got into the boat, oh, don't miss that. I don't know how long, but Peter and Jesus walked on water again to get back to the boat. I love this time he's not alone. He's got Jesus right there physically beside him. They get back to the boat, and the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Everyone in the boat, their life was changed because of what happened to Peter walking on the water. It changed Peter. It was something he needed, but it affected the whole crowd because he did by faith what God has called him to do. Which leads me to the last thought I want you to grab today. Ultimately, the goal is not walking on water. The goal is knowing God better. You're going through whatever it is, and it's not about, I'm going to take the step of faith and look at me walking on water. The walking on water is just so that you will be closer to Jesus. And intimately, when they got back in the boat, all those guys bowed and said, he is the son 
of God. Their relationship was stronger than it had been. God has a plan for you. God knows what he wants, and he's got this grand idea that he has, and you can do this with his power, the journey of faith, and no matter how awkward or messy it may be, your faith can even encourage others to take their step of faith. That's how God works. God has such an incredible way of doing that within the church. So here's what happened in our lives. Had this stirring, God, there was something else. I said, okay, God, I want to come out in the water. Man, God said, all right. Let's do this thing. He said, come on. But here's what I want to do. As I, I wrap this up today, I want to share what, what happens. Because what I realized, and I knew this, but it's really been real. I, there's a lot of people that have stepped out of the boat doing what I'm doing before I get there. And I'm actually going to be doing what I do based on people who have already been stepping out of the boat for years to come. There's a missionary by the name of Jim Horn. And another missionary by Bobby Bechtel and several others right in the Africa where we'll be working who have laid the groundwork. And they've been stepping out of the boat. And I guarantee you there have been days when they go, God, I'm sinking here. I'm drowning. And God has held them up and they've continued and they've served. They led a young man by the name of Alan Awano to the Lord. They've discipled him. Now he's an African, a native there in Kenya. And now he is planting churches and he's winning people to Jesus. And they're seeing that change because they went before him. So let me show you kind of on the other side of what it looks like. When you step out in faith and you walk what God can do, there's a last set of pictures I want you to see on the screen. On this left corner is Alan Awano, the, the pastor I told you about. And in the, with him is a young man by the name of Ashley. Ashley in that picture is about five, six years old. That's Ashley's first day in the Manna Feeding Center there in Kenya. So he's just ending the feeding center. But let's give you a little history. Ashley's parents, they want him to be fed and to be educated. So they're going to take him to the center, but they really don't even believe in God, not the God that we know. And they're, they're, just, they're just wanting their child to, to have what, so they bring him to the feeding center. But every day he hears the gospel. Every Sunday he goes to church now at the church at the feeding center. After a while, his dad starts coming with him because he tells him every Sunday, well, you come to church with me. So his dad starts coming to church. Mom was a little bit tougher. It took several months before mom, his dad was an alcoholic. His mom was just adamant against God's, uh, God's and what they were saying at the church. But she starts coming to church when she sees what's happening to her son and her, her husband. Now let's fast forward about 12, 13 years. That man in the right corner, that's Ashley's dad, who's now in the institute studying to be a pastor to go and plant churches because he accepted Christ. In the left corner here standing with Alan's wife is Ashley's mom who has accepted Christ, and now she's the matron at the high school leading others to find and follow Jesus. And here's Ashley. Last, it, it, when we were there back in October, standing with a pastor friend of ours, Ashley's graduating from high school, knows the Lord, and wants to go to university and change Kenya for Jesus Christ. You see, walking on water is not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you, knowing him better and sharing your life with others. So the question is, what's your next step? What's that step of faith God's speaking to you about? I'll say it again. Do you know him personally? Have you taken that step to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? If not... Today, would you call from your heart and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. Please save me. I, wanna, I do want to follow you. But if you're one of his kids, what does that step look like for you today? Are you feeling maybe overwhelmed in the place that you're at? 
you feel like maybe I'm going down this time, I'm sinking, and you just need to cry out today and say, God, save me, help me. You're my father, but I need your deliverance in this moment.